0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the point podcast. you guys doing well on this Sunday night and this is kind of a new routine Sunday nights podcast. It's it's a good routine for me. I'm trying to go a little bit earlier tonight and I realize it's a long weekend. but I struggle to sleep on Sundays. Well, I struggle to sleep all the time, but no pity party here. But I enjoy doing these on Sunday nights because there's a lot to get into. You recap the weekend, and then we get into to Monday, and also, I, tomorrow, I do want to go see a movie that I'm thinking of. There's a movie, Nope, in theaters that I plan to go see, so that might take some time away from doing the show tomorrow, so if I do it tonight, we get it in. Some content for all of you on the the holiday Monday, which tomorrow is New Brunswick Day, and I'm okay with the I'm not a big holiday person. And this is one of my more spicier takes. I Most holidays I find extremely stupid. And my favorite holiday is Canada Day. Because you celebrate Canada, and although our country could use a lot of work, including our prime minister. I'm not going to get too political tonight here. But it is still my favorite holiday. You celebrate the country. You do whatever you want to do. Love it. We'll start from there. So the next one's New Brunswick. I'm okay with saying New Brunswick Day. It's it's for pride thing. Although I do think when it comes to Canada, we fall way far behind when it comes to um, the our American uh, brothers and sisters, who you know, they have Independence Day, they have Memorial Day, everything that seems to work when it comes to military or it comes to celebrating their country. I think they do it a little bit better than us. So we we could work on that ourselves. But again. I'm picking and choosing here, but that's something I think we could do better is celebrate our pride and celebrate our country. But again, I'm nitpicking. So then New Brunswick Day, I'm okay with. Next one is Labor Day. Sure, makes sense. You know, celebrate the working class, get a day off. It's before uh, kids go back to school, before the NFL. It's the weekend of actually college football. So there's normally a game on those Mondays (laughs) for selfish reasons, I'm okay with that holiday. I will get to sports tonight, I promise, but this is just a little segue into my brain. After that, it is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I would actually be way, I'd be more of a fan of Thanksgiving if it wasn't the first weekend of October, the second weekend of October. Why isn't it like the American Thanksgiving? It's a much better time. You have Thanksgiving. It then goes into Christmas Christmas a month later. You have Black Friday in there for, for the Americans. It's just better. Why Why the second weekend of October? What does that signify? It means nothing to me. I don't know if it means anything to you. Of course, I like being with family. I have to Say that every time you make a uh, <laughs> you make a statement about a holiday that involves food and being around family. Of course, I love that. But why isn't it in November? In the States, there are three football games on Thanksgiving. That is something that I can point to. Is it Sunday? Is it Monday, Thanksgiving? Well, there's Thanksgiving Monday, that's a holiday, but you eat your meal on a Sunday. Again, it's convoluted. What's really the date? Don't love it. Remembrance Day, absolutely the most important holiday of the year. And to me, you should stand there at 11 to 11.02. It's the least you can do for everybody that's passed away in this country. Remembrance Day, absolutely. Christmas. Christmas is has its pros and cons. Christmas is good in the sense that... <laughs> how can I say this? Christmas is good in the fact that you get to give people you love gifts so that they can see. It's not about what you get. It's about giving the gift, I think. I'm not a very good person at buying gifts. I'll openly admit that. I often buy my good friends alcohol for birthdays because most of them are big drunks anyway. So that's an easy one. But for finding a gift for women is extremely difficult. You pick the wrong outfit. You do this. so It's a little tricky there. I don't like that Christmas has like a forced obligation that you have to go to church. It seems like I gave that up about 10 years ago, but I hate holidays that are tied to a religious anything. Jesus' birth is Christmas. I don't, I wouldn't, that's not a reason for me to celebrate. I'm an atheist. So I like certain aspects. Again, the, the church aspect and the prayer and midnight mass, again, that can, Go away. I would never that's trash. That that's garbage bin. That, that's no good. Boxing day. Boxing day is a great holiday, not because it's I go shopping, because I hate shopping and I hate them all, but there's world juniors on boxing day. All my favorite holidays are tied to sports, of course. You know me. You listen to me enough, you know that. So that's a positive thing. There's lots of sports on Boxing Day. Christmas does have the NBA and often the NFL. So that's a positive thing about it. So if if, if, if there are more sports on Christmas, then it's a better year. If there's less and say just NBA and no NFL, eh, then I start to think more about the religious crap that I used to have to deal with till I was about 10 and then told my mother to hit the road. So, Boxing Day, after Boxing Day, New Year's, hate New Year's. Hate it. I think it's a stupid, stupid holiday. 2022 to 2023 when that happens in whatever five months what what what's changed nothing new year's resolutions are stupid if you want to make a change make a change now why wait five months it's, a, it's an artificial date that nobody keeps so i i new year's resolutions to me i really haven't made any in my life because i find it's a stupid policy and it's just the like five, four, three, two, one. Again, it's it's very juvenile to me. It's very pedantic. I just don't see it as a as a very I think it's a stupid holiday, quite frankly. Nothing has changed. It's not like you wake up and we got better things around us. It's the same damn world. We can make a change any day of the year. But yet January first is just this stupid arbitrary day. Anyway, I know people love New Year's because it's celebration and all the crap. I just put down. I hate it. Screw New Year's. After New Year's, is there a holiday in... Oh, there's that family day holiday. That's stupid. <laughs> I I made this joke to my mother a few... I think it was this year on family day because I wasn't around. I told her there's been, say, five family days since its inception, and I haven't seen my family on four of them. I thought it was a funny joke. She didn't find it quite so funny. But again, I find it stupid. Trudeau basically invented it to get a good PR session for himself. Didn't work for me. So maybe some other people latched on. The liberals liked them before. They like them more now, I suppose. March, I guess the next one would be Easter. Again, Easter, religious holiday. Jesus was reborn. It's even more because there's Good Friday where he died. Again, Easter, to me, I hate Easter more than Christmas because there's two days of religious holidays in there that I have to put up with. I'll take the day off on the Friday. I'll take that, but I'm not, I'd am not. i rather go to work than celebrate it for the religious reasons. But nevertheless, that's that. And then I think the last one before we're getting back to the present day, and we will get to sports, I promise. It is... Uh the Queen, Elizabeth, uh, what is it? Queen Elizabeth, or is that what it is? The last again, it's so stupid that May holiday. Queen Elizabeth or Elizabeth something day. Anyway, I can't even remember her name right now because I hate the royal family so much. But whatever that date is in May, it's like May 21st, May 2 4 weekend. Another stupid holiday because you're celebrating an English leader that we used to be that used to rule Canada until we broke off from them so we're celebrating her she's done nothing for me in my life she's done nothing for anybody alive quite frankly uh, in Canada so again i go to work then i have to then celebrate that and i honestly would that's not a hypocritical thing for me i would rather go to work work a day and get a paycheck and again you get paid if you're a salary employee if if you're if it's a holiday but I go to work and earn it or do something else, you know, put us sp- I always said that the NHL free uh, trade deadline day that should be a holiday. That would be a good holiday. And again, it's completely selfish on my end, or the one day after the Super Bowl should be a holiday. That'd be a great holiday. Take away New Year's because New Year's sucks and put it the Monday after the Super Bowl, it's a holiday. North America-wide, nobody goes to work on that day. Because it's, so many people watch the Super Bowl, even people that don't like football go to Super Bowl parties or watch a game or have a cup of beer. Even me, well, technically I watched the game by myself last year, last two or three years. Nevertheless, I watched the game and I enjoyed it. I would take the day off the next day. It'd make a whole lot more sense to me than some of the holidays we have now. I will never be a politician, but I think I would be a way better one than the the current ones we have right now when it comes to picking holidays because I would think about the mass and not about midnight mass, if you will. And there would be a certain section of the world that would hate me, the religious groups and whatnot, but hey, I need to play to all my voters and not just a certain section, but... there's my rant on uh, holidays for for tonight and hope you guys enjoy hope you guys enjoy the holiday Monday tomorrow and don't look too bad on holidays after my rant here today but like I said a lot happened this weekend we got major League baseball as its trade deadline Tuesday Tuesday night we'll talk a lot about that um, Tuesday when Sheamus comes on the podcast and the moves certain teams make. We saw a number of moves this weekend and we saw some contracts in the NHL. But what I wanted to get into first things first is agents in sports and how they've been dropping the ball this week. Normally when we think about agents, they're people that often don't get a name put to them. You have no idea who they are, but they get their clients a lot of money And you move on. This player gets a $50 million guarantee. Great. You move on to the next guy. You'll work out a contract. And it keeps going. It's rare that you get to know agents. Alan Walsh is in the NHL. Uh, Drew Rosenhaus in the NFL are big-time agents. They are people that talk to the media. They have podcasts. They release statements. But more often than not, agents are hidden in the background. They work for Newport Sports. They work for Clutch in the NBA, and you don't necessarily get to know them. Well, this week, I didn't know much about Kyler Murray's agent. I didn't really, I didn't know his name. I didn't know a whole lot about him. But what I did come away thinking of his agent was, this guy is not a great agent, because he he signed a contract. He got his client to sign a contract where he was forced to do four hours of independent study a week. Not to mention that he got Kyler to sign it. And then he, apparently, he sent the contract to Ian Rappaport because he gets to see all the contract because he works for the NFL Network. And then it was leaked that Kyler had to do independent study. Kyler Murray has to talk to the media He's yelling at the media for saying, how could you guys think that I don't do all this work? How could you be doing this? Well, Kyler, it wasn't the media. It wasn't people like me thinking that you didn't work hard, that you didn't study, that you didn't care about the game. It was your team who thought that because they thought so little of your study habits that they had to put that in the, in the contract, in the wording of the contract, in the verbiage. It says you have to do this amount of study per week. So to me if a if a team loves a player enough they will look past his flaws. We've seen it again and again. Why did Terrell Owens kept getting contracts? Why did why did Ray Rice get contracts? Why did these pl- Earl Thomas is a terrible teammate. We've heard it a thousand times. He kept getting contracts from teams. Why? because if you can have great production it will production will will look over they will it'll be it'll be higher it'll be valued more than every other deficiency that you have it might be your attitude it might be your behavior off the field it might be your home life or it could be your study habits and more often than not teams will value production over tolerance. When production starts to decline, like price is right, and you drop and tolerance is rising, then that's when you have an issue. That's when teams cut players. When you're more of a pain in the ass than you're worth. So in this sense, in this situation, Kyler Murray was going to be re-signed by the Arizona Cardinals. And you know why? Because they had no other option. There's no quarterbacks available. This team's in win-now mode. They have elder statesman J.J. Watt. They had they have 30-year-old Zach Ertz at tight end. They have DeAndre Hopkins, who's a middle-age wide receiver. They have A.J. Green, who's at the back end of his career. This is a veteran Arizona Cardinals team. You are not pushing a year away so that you can draft a quarterback in the top five next year. You're not throwing a a year away. You're not doing that, and you're not banking on a rookie getting a team to win a Super Bowl. Because guess what? It doesn't happen that often. Joe Burrow got to a Super Bowl last year. He didn't win it. Mahomes won in his third year. That's an anomaly. Josh Allen is on to his second contract. He hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. Lamar Jackson hasn't won a Super Bowl Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold are on their second team already. Zach Wilson's young. We'll, see, we'll wait and see. Trevor Lawrence, who the hell knows, in, in Laval country, Duval country in Jacksonville. But this agent failed, quite frankly to me, because he had an easy job. This wasn't a hard negotiation. I want to make over $45 million average per year with the Cardinals, We're going to do. And, okay, I'm not going to get as much guaranteed money. Okay. But I'm not putting that in my client's contract. Because who are you going to play? Colt McCoy for 17 games this year? Do you want Colt McCoy lining up? Or do you want the guy you drafted number one overall, who the new coach basically handpicked to be his quarterback? Is that where you want to go? They had nowhere to turn. And this agent seemed to fail to realize that. Why are all these other contracts easy? There have been players that have weight clauses in their contract. But guess what the weight clauses—this Guess what's attached to the weight clause? Bonuses. Trent Brown of the Patriots has a clause that every time he weighs in, he has to be less than 370 pounds, if you can believe it. Every time he, he goes on a scale and he's less than 370 pounds, I believe it's a $50,000 bonus in his contract. So yes, it is a negative. You can look at it that way, but also it's an incentive for the player to make weight. It's There's no, okay, we're going to take the $50,000 back. It's a bonus. It can be It can be really bad if the player is overweight, but there's a bonus attached to it. It's a different feel, it's a different spin. This you can't say okay when you when you're on the iPad four time, four hours a week, we'll throw you a 10 grand. That wasn't in the contract. It's just it's signed. We can void this if you don't study. but with all the media attention with everything going around, Friday the Arizona Cardinals took it out of the contract. Because it was such a distraction. Because it blew up so much. And if their thought process was, we're going to put this in the contract, Kyler's going to get buried by the media, which he did, and he'll study now, that's stupidity. Because if somebody is not studying, if somebody is not working hard, they are not going to change because they are ashamed. I truly believe that. That is not... There's some people are motivated that way, but to me, Kyler's going to say, I'm still going to win football games and study as much as I did. I won 11 games last year. I started out eight and one last year. This is not the way to go. To me, this does not change a damn thing. He will not be any more motivated to study after all this happened. It's a stupid ploy by the organization. I don't believe it's going to work. And if you don't trust the guy to put in the work, don't give him the money. Like I just said, the agent had them ass over tea kettle. You're going to sign the contract. Well, how about the team had some balls? How about the team says, you know what? Now, we're not going to give you the money. We're not going to give you the contract because we don't trust you to do your job, to look at tape, to study, to be prepared. And that takes guts. That takes cojones to say, you know what? Actually, play last year your contract because we don't trust you to put in the work that it takes to be a quarterback. And if he walks, he walks. But that's, some, that's your leverage. Not put it in a contract and try to shame a guy. In my experience, lazy people are lazy people. It really takes something drastic for them to change that behavior, but nine out of 10 times they stay lazy. If somebody is well I'm okay. I wish my, oh, I wish my life was better, I wish I, could, I wish I had this opportunity, well, work for it. I can only relate it to myself. I'd love to be working for a company right now and still doing, I love doing this, but I wish I made a salary doing it, but I'm trying, I'm reaching out to people. I do my show. I try to do it four to five times a week. I'm not sitting here bitching and complaining people in life that bitch and complain about their situation and do nothing to make it better. Just want to stay in their current situation. It can be work. It can be a weight loss thing. It can be uh, you know, cleaning your house, the way, you pre- the way you present yourself, anything. But it has to be an internal thing for you to say, I want this behavior to change. I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to do something to improve. Can be as a human, can be at your profession, whatever it might be. But you have to have that internal discipline, have to have that internal belief and that internal desire to say, I want to improve my situation. I want to, I want to get through this. Crying to your friends, bitching to your family, and, and just doing the same thing to me will never work. Kyler Murray is so talented. There's no doubt about it. He's one of the most entertaining quarterbacks to watch in the NFL period. His little legs running around. He is so fun to watch. I love watching the Cardinals play. And they played the Chiefs week one. That'll be a fun matchup. But at the same time, Patrick Mahomes, I think, is more talented than Kyler Murray. He's a better thrower than Kyler Murray. But I I also think Patrick Mahomes studies. So you can be insanely talented and still put the work in. The way Kyler talked to the media, he was defensive. He was a guy that felt like he had to defend the fact that he's a hard worker. He didn't present himself as a guy that loves studying the tape. That says, I need to sit here for hours on end. And believe me, you don't need to sit there for 18 hours. Not everybody has to be Peyton Manning. But could you give a shit? The team clearly thinks you'd be better if you study a little more. But you have to want to do it. You want to accomplish anything in life, you have to work for it. And trying to shame a person. How many times in life have you said to somebody, God, you look bad, and you're trying to do it as a nice way just to push them in the right direction, or you have a problem. Talk to anybody with a drinking problem, smoking cigarettes, anything of this nature that you want to help them. You really do. And it takes a whole lot of balls to have that conversation. But you can have that tough conversation with somebody. But if they don't change their behavior, if they don't take in your message and say, okay, this is somebody I care about and they really want me to to do better, then it's it's in one ear, out the other. Because it's a waste of a conversation. It's you wasting your breath because the person you're trying to help doesn't want to help themselves. The team wants Kyler Murray to be better. They want him to study more. They, they already see him as an immense talent. They already see him as a guy that has a whole lot to bring to the table. But to get to this next level... You might have to do this. You might have to do this. I got these little helmets in front of me. I got the Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers right here. Prop prop show here tonight. Kyler Murray is a lot like Russell Wilson, right? To me. Anyway, they're both small. They both were, although Kyler went first overall and because it's in a different era, but Russell came into the league as a third round pick and he was constantly said, well, this guy could never win. Well, To me, Russell Wilson is one of the hardest working players in the NFL when it comes to his physical condition and when it comes to studying tape and being aware of what's happening. Well, he has the skill that Kyler has, maybe less, but he is still a very good runner of the football. Very good arm, like Kyler, but he studies. What happened with all that combination? He won a Super Bowl. He's been to two, should have won two. There's the difference. San Francisco 49ers. Recently, Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl. Is he a great player? And San Francisco will be interesting to watch because Trey Lance is another one of these young guys. He's taller than than Kyler, but he's a running quarterback that is is, is accurate as his is accuracy is always called into question. Does he have the work ethic? Does he have the Kyle Shanahan? Let's study tape Gene and him so that they could win a Super Bowl. Same division, it's an interesting conversation. Little prop tonight. because I look in front of me, the Steelers, I got the Cincinnati Bengals. You're telling me that Joe Burrow doesn't work hard to study tape to get better? He's not as talented as those guys. He's got a great arm, but that's that's what it takes sometimes. It's just the dedication to put in, to get better, to, to get there. But I, I thought that was... To me, it's a vote, Kyler, but it's also his agent. And who I would fire him because I think he did a terrible job with this negotiation. There's more NFL contracts I want to get to in an injury, but I want to pivot to the NHL quickly here because there's another agent story that I want to touch on. This was under the radar, but on Wednesday, John Klingberg, formerly of the Dallas Stars, fired his agent. John Klingberg was the top defenseman available when it came to NHL free agency when it opened on July 14th, and it had been weeks, and you're we expecting to hear that John Klingberg would sign a big ticket with a team, with a team somewhere uh, around the NHL for for four to five years, and nothing happened. You heard he's trying, he might go back to Dallas. They kicked tires, but not a whole lot was out there on John Klingberg. No rumors, nothing. There was, it was just razor quiet until we hear that he had parted ways with his agent. And my initial thought was well, this was a case of John Klingberg and his agent of overplaying his market. John Klingberg just recently signed with Newport Sports which is Bobby Orr's agency. Sorry, the competitor to Bobby Orr's agency. That's called the Orr group, but Newport represents some of the biggest names in, in the NHL. Austin Matthews is with Newport sports. You have uh Sydney Crosby is with Newport sports. They, they represent a lot of big clients and Klingberg signs a one year, $7 million deal with Anaheim on Friday. And it's fine. It's a good dollar amount, but John Klingberg at 29 did not expect to have to sign a 1-year contract with a team that is likely to miss the playoffs next season. Or he'll have to go into free agency again next year at 30 years old and do this all over again but with less years and who knows how this year is going to go in Anaheim where their defense hasn't been good for for many many years now. I look at an agent in this case, and I'm sure it's the player as well, and he, he had a big ask, but I think his agent did as well, where I, I talked to Seamus about this a number of weeks ago. I thought John Klingberg would get in excess of $9 million. I don't think he's worth $9 million. I wouldn't pay him seven. But I thought he'd be asking for that dollar amount because he was the best defenseman on the market. P.K. Subban got $9 million at the time. Klingberg, I wouldn't say as good as P.K. Subban when he became a free agent. But to be fair, P.K. had not won a Norris Trophy yet either. So Klingberg signs one year, $7 million, and his agent, and clearly he overplayed their hand. They they failed to realize that it wasn't going to happen, that he couldn't take four years at six or four years at seven. I'm sure they had their $9, 10000000 million deal, and they weren't willing to back off of it and now he has to suffer the consequences. I don't think we're going to see this with Nazem Kadri because I think he has his landing spot. He knows who he's ne- who he's dealing with. He's negotiating with Joe Sakic. He's in contact with the team he was just with and I don't think he's panicked about where he's going to play next year. It's rumored over the weekend that Detroit Red Wings may be kicking tires on Nazem Kadri, but there's nothing concrete there. I don't think he's going to end up in Detroit. I think he will go back to Colorado. Because he just won a cup there, and he believes he can win another one. But this is a really this is a story that players should look at and really consider their value, and who who their agent is. This should be a precautionary tale for major league baseball players and hiring Scott Boris. Just because an agent tells you you can get nine to ten million dollars in the open market doesn't mean it's true. Just that doesn't mean it's true, because our agents directly talking to GMs are they saying, okay, yeah, your client will get nine. T- you can hear, yeah, I think John will get nine ten million dollars in the open market. A GM might be saying that in passing. That doesn't mean that specific GM GM is going to give John Klingberg nine ten million dollars over five to six years. Number one, he's not worth it. But also, it's a it's a hard cap world. We're seeing how tough it is to move money. The all the arc strand deal. You got to move a guy. You got to trade trade him for a fourth round pick. The guy's a really good hockey. He's a solid pro NHLer. You basically had to give him away for nothing. This should be a precautionary tale for players to really consider who's representing them. And they should be. To me, what needs to happen more is players should have conversations with the agent. So sort of with with the GM so that they know exactly what they're walking into. Cause occasionally agents can tell their, uh, their clients something and it goes and it's a completely different story. We saw the Freddie Freeman story in, in LA where he wanted to go back to Atlanta and his agent, he fired his agent after this because the Atlanta then traded for Matt Olson and they moved it off to Freddie Freeman. It's worked out for Freddie cause he's playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers and he's on the best team in baseball. But clearly, he's not that happy about being in LA. He'd rather still be in Atlanta trying to repeat as World Series champions with the Atlanta Braves. So players just need to be careful because they're, they're hearing what their market is from their agent. And I will say this, eight times out of 10, the agent does good things for their client. I believe that Scott Boris. is is making a good gamble on Juan Soto that he will be able to give his client $500 million contract, $450, whatever ends up being, I think that'll be a good gamble. Now there's also the story of Michael Conforto. He used to be at the Mets. He didn't get a contract and Boris said to him, opt out of your 18 million. He could have opted into 18 million this year at the Mets, Michael Conforto. And at the time, Conforto knew he had an elbow injury, and Boris was aware of this. But he said, "Opt out. You'll get a contract. I promise you, it'd be multi-year deal." Nobody gave Conforto a contract. Why? Because he had an elbow injury. Because they did their physicals and said this guy is not healthy. Oh yeah, he require he required surgery. Michael Conforto is not playing this year. He is unemployed. He got surgery, which he had to pay for. Not the team. Because there's no insurance. It was an injury before. He could have opted in. Been on the Mets roster the entire year and had the surgery. He's now hoping to play next season and Scott Boris royally fucked him. This stuff happens. It's a vicious world where the agent wants you to make the most money, they don't really care about where you end up. It's about the check for them, not about your happiness. Don't hear that crap. Klingberg probably didn't care where he went, but you're telling me he wanted to sign a one-year deal for $7 million in Anaheim? I love Anaheim as a city, great weather, all that, but for one year at 29 years old, no way. No way. He wanted the Dougie Hamilton treatment. He wanted to go to New Jersey and get a seven-year ticket. He didn't even get us two years on the deal. Kyler Murray, John Klingberg got bad treat, got I just this is bad agent work this week, bad contract negotiations, bad understanding of the market. Not reading the tea leaves. The longer it goes for a guy like John Klingberg, it's over now. He's in Anaheim. The longer it went past that first weekend, it got worse because the money would go down by the day. Anaheim signed him because they have all kinds of cap room. They have all kinds of cap room, and they can likely flip him at the trade deadline for for pieces because I don't think Anaheim's going to make the playoffs again this season. So they can trade Klingberg, get some draft picks, and he can go on another team for a stretch run to the playoffs. Play the first fifty games as Anaheim Duck and move on from there. But he gets a one-year deal. He gets seven million dollars for one year. It's a good. It's a good contract. It, it's a good. It's it's a good dollar amount for one year. But this mistake by Klingberg and his agent could have could have major effects. N- number one. Because he's going to lose a year off of what he just had because he's 30 now. You're not going to get six, seven years that you would have potentially gotten this year. But what if he gets injured this year? What if he has a knee injury that puts him out for the, for the whole season? What does that mean for his career? He has no stability. He doesn't have years to bank on. He's in no man's land. He's in quicksand. And that dollar amount continues to plunge. These are mistakes that players and agents make. And we saw a couple of them this week. Kyler Murray had better representation because at least he got a long-term contract and a whole lot of guaranteed money. But he also got embarrassed. And the agent also looks stupid. And if I was a, a player, I wouldn't want him as my agent because you let your contracts, you let your your, uh, your agent let you sign that. Why? And for John Klingberg, who just, who just left an agency group, that agent looks bad today. He screwed up because he got fired, and his client, who was the best defenseman on the free agent market, got a one-year contract worth seven million dollars in ni. That is not desirable. That is not what you expected going into this. So that's that's just some agent news this week, and I found it extremely interesting, and then just how all this works with agents and how. They go, they go about doing their business and just reading books and stories. I'd like to share a little bit of that and what it could mean for these players moving forward. Before we get to the NFL, today we lost a legend, Bill Russell, the former Boston Celtic great, one of the real pioneers of the game of basketball, passed away peacefully at the age of 88. Bill Russell played 13 seasons in the National Basketball Association, and he had 11 titles. Incredible stuff. He was also a pioneer off the court for his his work when it came to just really social causes and color barriers and pushing the conversation forward when it came to race relations in the United States and economic opportunity for minorities and people, uh, you know, black people that didn't have them. He was also did commentary for the Boston Celtics after he retired, and he's just a pioneer. He's truly one of the great players of all time. But to me, obviously, I didn't get to see him play, but what I do know him for is just seeing his presence when he was at games. He was at the Celtics NBA finals this year at 88 and he, and he looked pretty healthy, but not to mention that he just was always a guy that spoke about these issues. When I think of players in the older generation that are still current because they talk about these issues that we've seen when it came to police brutality, when it came to the treatment of African-Americans, I think of Bill Russell and I think of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who has you know, become a great writer who talks a lot about, you know, talked about what Colin Kaepernick was doing, talking about what athletes should or shouldn't be doing. Michael Jordan never was a big, was a person to speak out about these type of things. Kareem still does at his elder age. Bill Russell did and they deserve a ton of credit because these older, this older generation they didn't have the the freedom. They didn't have the platform that today's athletes did uh, do with social media, and with just you know being having a microphone, being on ESPN, being on TNT, and and having their own social media to promote and talk about what's happening and have their own voice heard. In the past, it was just shut up and dribble. It was you're a basketball player. You don't have an opinion. You go in the court. You play. You get off of it. But Bill Russell really was a pioneer for that change. We saw more of it, like I said, with, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the next generation. We saw some of it with uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, who were enemies but then became friends with with the way that they, you know, they stood up for different things. Larry Bird supporting Magic Johnson uh, when it came to when it came to um, minorities getting killed in Los Angeles when he was there. So it. It's a sad day for the NBA world for sure, but he did live a great life. Like I said, 88 years old and truly one of the great players of all time, just winning personified. 11 titles in 13 seasons. That I when you say it, it still sounds crazy because it's he won 85% of the titles that he could have. 11 out of 13, that's 85%. So 85% of the years, you know, 85% of the time he's in the NBA, he was an NBA champion. He won a title. That is, that'll never be repeated. And he he was just, he wasn't a great scorer, but you hear, you listen to these, uh, you know, people that really know basketball and watch them. He was just one of the great defensive players of all time and just a, a profound leader for those Celtics teams and, you know, really, created a legacy for the Celtics that spread into, you know, the next generation of greats like Larry Bird and then the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce and what happened there. And the Celtics are hoping that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and and their cast of characters can lead them to another title in the not too distant future. So a sad day for the NBA world, but also he lived a great life and it was said that he passed away peacefully. So that's, that's all you can owe for. It wasn't a long You know, it wasn't long and suffering battle with cancer or, or or an illness, so you have to be thankful for that. Also, tonight it was just it was announced about an hour before I went on the podcast that Deshaun Watson, the decision on the length of his suspension, is going to be announced sometime tomorrow. So, as you all know, Deshaun Watson is having him in the NFL or having their sides heard. Uh, with an independent arbitrator on the length of a suspension regarding all these civil cases he has with women alleging that he sexually assaulted them. And he settled with 20 out of 24 of these women, and there's still four cases that are real. And the arbitrator's hearing his side, hearing the NFL, and they, she's basically heard both sides. They both presented what they want for the length of a contract. And she will decide on the Lantha contract. And what I've heard from, you know, Dan Patrick has sources when I listen to his show and Adam Schefter is what this woman, this woman is hearing both sides. And she's they're going to come to a solution in a sense so that when this arbitrator announces her decision tomorrow, it'll be something the NFL and Deshaun Watson's camp, Deshaun's legal team and the NFL Players Association have agreed upon if it is say it's 10 games i believe the nfl will not say oh no we're going to we're going to go for more time we're going to have another look at this to me whatever is announced tomorrow that's what deshaun watson will serve cuz both sides want this story to go away the nfl does not anymore anymore ba- this bad pr deshaun watson wants to move his career forward he didn't play a game last season basically getting paid but he didn't play this year He's he's made all his money in signing bonus. He has a $1 million salary projecting it out that he might be suspended for a lengthy part of time in this season. But the more and more I think about it, I don't think he's going to be suspended for the whole season. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think he should be. And when it's one or two, is one or two women think he's got 24 women alleging the same thing. This guy's got a bad pattern of behavior and you can't just let that off the hook. But I don't think he'll get a year. I think it'll be eight to twelve games in that range. I'll I'll lean my. I'll make my projection now. Make my 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 pick here. I I believe it'll be eight games for Deshaun Watson that he gets suspended. He'll miss the first half of the NFL season. He'll then return the role with Jacoby Brissett, and then Deshaun Watson will return in Week Nine. So. For the Browns, what they got to hope is that Jacoby can hold down the fort, and then Deshaun can come back and play some good football in the home stretch. But like I said, the the NFL never gets these cases right. They never do. It's never enough. The Ray Rice situation was a flat out joke. What happened there with, with that case, and how the, the Tyree Kill situation was a joke. Uh, Kareem Hunt was not enough, in my opinion. It was. They all serve these little, these all, these little punishments, and then they can come back. Cream Hunt, and Deshaun Watson are going to be on the the same team for Christ's sake. Kareem Hunt assaulted his girlfriend. We saw it. Deshaun Watson's been alleged uh, accused of sexual assault. That doesn't mean that you're guilty forever. That you're just a bad person, but it does stick with you. I don't care what happens. It's with you. For the rest of your career, the rest of your life, it is on your resume. It, it is something that you have to wear like a shield. I'm sure Browns fans are hoping that Deshaun Watson can play after eight games. But I will say this: I'm not a fan of any team. But if I if I was a Browns fan, I would be a little queasy about Deshaun about rooting for Deshaun Watson. Because I get it. You separate the person, and it's your sports team, and you want them to win. And But you also have to look at it and say, do you really want to root for this person? Do you really want this guy to be representing your team? And I get it. It's Cleveland. They've been a dumpster fire shithole forever. But Baker Mayfield was a lot of things, but he wasn't this He's married, he's cocky, yes, he's got he's got some negatives. Deshaun Watson is uber talented, but Baker Mayfield is not a criminal. He's not been accused of anything. He he has his flaws, but he does not have the flaws of Deshaun Watson. You can wrap your arms around Baker Mayfield. I'm sorry, but you cannot wrap your arms around a person, anybody accused of sexual assault. And the buying a jersey. And supporting somebody that has done it, and again, it's alleged, but with the number of cases, you got to put two and two together, and I'm believing the 24 and not the one. I'm sorry, but I have a hard time believing the one in particular when the Houston Texans settled a case with 20 different women because they were setting up hotel rooms so that he could do these actions. They gave a bunch of money to these women. It's your mental, it's your moral compass, it's your decision, but don't try to validate it with, well, oh, he's a quarterback, I I separate the two. No, you don't get to. You don't get to. Pete Rose gambled. He, he, He doesn't get to separate the fact that he was a great baseball player. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He just isn't. O.J. Simpson does not get to separate the fact he was a great NFLer, but he's also a murderer. He doesn't because he's a murderer before he's an NFL player now. Before he won a Heisman Trophy, that's what you remember about him. Why should it be, well, Deshaun Watson is our quarterback. We're just going to forgive him. That is so crazy to me. You have to be aware of what a person did. It does not mean that he should just be accosted forever but there are certain crimes that mean a little bit more to me rape sexual assault murder these hold a different light they're not vandalism they're not sh- shoplifting any of these l- smaller crimes people can make up their mind people have their own their own policy their own moral compass But for me, rooting for Deshaun Watson, in a sense, is validating that behavior. I have a hard time rooting for the Cleveland Browns because you have this player being the face of your franchise. A clown running a clown show organization. Other NFL news. On Thursday, DK Metcalf came to a contract uh, extension with the Seattle Seahawks, signing a three-year $72 million million signing bonus. So DK Metcalf, who's 24, signed a three-year deal and he will be a free agent at 27. So a really good deal for DK. Seattle had to pay a good amount of money to keep him. He is an uber talented guy. The one thing you look at and say, well, What's it going to be like in Seattle over the next couple of years for DK Mecca? How much production is he going to have? Because Seattle, if, if you didn't rem- if you don't forget, they have Geno Smith and drew lock on their quarterback depth chart. Drew lock, who is formerly the Denver Broncos. So they got in the Russell Wilson trade, who is not a starting quarterback in the NFL. I believe Geno Smith's going to win the starting quarterback job. And then Geno Smith, who's been everywhere. He's been a Giants backup. He's been a Jets backup. they've been in Seattle a number of years. And again, he's just a cast off another guy that's been a long-term backup that's looking to get a starting job. Seattle's got Tyler Lockett. They got Noah Fant. They got a number of great skill position players. But for DK Metcalf, my one worry is how much targets, how many targets is he going to get, how many yards. And if they begin to lose games, how long is he going to be happy? Wide receivers all have massive egos. And if he's not getting the ball enough because they're running it with Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, Jr., the third, and Geno Smith has to scramble for first downs, and he's not getting the deep throws down the field that Russell Wilson would try. How long is he going to stay content? How long is he going to be happy with the situation? He's got the money. He could ask out. But for Seattle, they ponied up the money. To me, hoping that, okay, we're going to get through this season and then we draft a quarterback this this offseason to pair with DK Metcalf and hopefully have a quicker rebuild than some might think that we have. So all in all, I would have paid DK Metcalf. He's an extremely talented guy. He's a big receiver. And he's just a guy you want to keep on your team. And then tonight, just before we went live, Debo Samuel re-signed with the San Francisco 49ers. It's a three-year, $71.55 million contract, so $500,000 less than DK Metcalf with $58.1 million guaranteed, so hundred dollars more guaranteed than DK Metcalf. So clearly, the 49ers and John Lynch looked at the DK Metcalf contract. Samuel is a little bit older, but he said, okay, We'll give you a little less money, a little bit more, a little bit more money guaranteed. And as we currently sit, Debo Samuel to me is more valuable than DK Metcalf, and it's because of what, all that Debo does—the ru- running, the in the backfield, and the jet sweeps, and all the ways that he's utilized in the Kyle Shanahan offense. However, the way he's utilized, he's going to be battered. He's going to be beaten. And I don't think his production will last as long as DK Metcalf. So if he is utilized the same way as he was last year, which that's such an interesting storyline to me, is how he's utilized now that he's gotten the bag. Now that he's got some security, he's got some guaranteed money. How is he going to be utilized? Is he going to accept being being a, a guy that is in the in the backfield that does help Trey Lance that can be a running back wide receiver hybrid, or will he say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I I want to be a wide receiver. To me, now that he's gotten got the money, he'll want to be a team player and still do some of those same things, but uh, maybe he won't. Maybe he won't accept that and say, you know what, I'm t- I'm tired of that. I'm a wide receiver now. That's my job. That's what I want to do here. But that's the interesting thing for me where this goes. Because he is extremely valuable, but how is he utilized this upcoming season? Is he just a wide receiver that's in the slot and goes to the outside? Or is he utilized in the backfield like he was last season, which was so, so successful? I would want to use him as a, as a utility knife that can do a little bit of everything. I'm not so sure he'll want to do that, but I think it'll be something Kyle Shanahan is fighting for in training camp now that he has him signed and he should return to practice. DK Metcalf will return to to practice. Debo Samuel will return to practice. And now we really look around and I believe there's a few defensive players that are still holding out for contracts. And, of course, Lamar Jackson, who is practicing. He practiced with pads the other day with... No contract, no security. The guy just loves to play football. Credit to him, because he's been judged, he's been put down his entire career, but he's just doing his own thing. I hope he gets his money. He deserves it. But I worry, I worry about him and just what, what the Ravens could do to him. And it it would it would be a risk to give him some money, but he's earned the money that that he's hoping to get right now. Now. All these contracts, Deshaun Watson, one of the the biggest things so far in NFL training camp stories is Ryan Jensen. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers Center on Friday went down with a knee injury. At practice, they heard a yell, and it's been reported that he's going to miss months to start the season with this knee injury. It is not a full ACL tear. He would missed the entire season with that, so there was good news on that front. But he would miss likely the first two months of the NFL season. And again, this could have been worse. Don't get me wrong. He could have missed the entire season. But this is a setback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sure, Tri that all Michael little- he's played every snap since he got to Tampa Bay. every snap with Tom Brady since he arrived. and it's been reported that Tom Brady's first call was to Ryan Jensen when he decided to come back out of retirement because Ryan Jensen had an offer on the table to go to the Cincinnati Bengals. his his teammate Ali Marpet went to the went to the Cincinnati Bengals. And he Brady wanted to keep Jensen in Tampa Bay because they had such a good relationship and they had such great rapport. He wanted to keep Jensen at center. He still had Tristan Wirfs, the all-pro at right tackle. But now that Jensen is gone, it creates such a hole at center. They already lost, a, like I said, they lost Alimar Pet in free agency, they're, so they're rebuilding that offensive line. And now it's scramble. It's early in training camp. That's a better thing. I'm sure Brady's a little happier about that, that they have – basically a month to work out a new center to, to play that position on, on day one of the season when they meet the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football. But I'm interested to see where they go. JC Treder is a former pro bowler. He was a center for the formerly the Cleveland Browns. He's a free agent. He's a guy that could go sign. He has experience. They may want to just stay in house and see if they can move somebody to play center and, and, of the offensive line right now and then shift them back when Jensen's ready to return. But it's a big, it's a big loss because the offensive line is more important than Brady's skill position players because he doesn't have the speed to avoid them. The inside pressure that he was getting against the Rams is a big reason why they lost. Cause in that first half, he had no time to make a play. Tristan worse was banged up. He was having, he had one of the, probably the worst game of his career and they just they couldn't stop the Leonard Floyd-Aaron Donald pressure. And it was a long day for, for Tom Brady. He had success in the second half, but that first half, the offensive line could not hold up. So it's not a season-long injury. Tom Brady can certainly overcome this. Tom Brady's overcame worse odds. But this was a chink in the armor, for sure, because Jensen is so important to Brady and with no Gronk, he's still he's working out new things. However, this isn't a situation where some media members will say, Well, oh, Tom Brady doesn't have Gronk, and he, oh Jensen's hurt. So this is he's got even longer odds to win the Super Bowl. It's gonna be such a that you're not gonna hear that from me. Tom Brady is 46. Oh, he's gonna be I think he's gonna be 46 this week. I think his birthday's August 3rd or August 4th, and he'll he'll be a year older. But he decided to play. He's still the guy. If you want to play, I'm not giving you an excuse. I'm not. I'm not. It's you I'm going to give you your flowers if you win games. The Bucks will be a really good team. But hey, things happen. Teams lose players all the time. There was no sympathy for Baltimore last year when they basically lost the entire their entire running back group and every corner they had in their roster. So these they, he can overcome these injuries. Ryan Jensen will return. That's the good news for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last night was an interesting night of, of fighting with USC 277. I would say a very good card last night and some extremely interesting results. I don't I wouldn't it wasn't the most entertaining pay-per-view of the year for sure. It was a card that I looked at and I said, that that'll be interesting. I'll be honest, I I've seen a lot more interesting fights this year. I'm looking ahead to UFC 278, and I believe that'll be a better card. You know, you have Jose Aldo there, you have Camaro Usman, but there was some fights last night that did have you know big ramifications on where the sport is going when it comes to championships in the coming months. The fight card started with Magomed Ankalaev defeating Anthony Smith, who actually broke his leg at the end of the first round. And Ankalaev won his ninth straight win in the light heavyweight division. This dude's legit to me. He's he just beats everybody he's in the ring with, point blank. He's he's such a good technical fighter. He'll submit. He'll win by points. He'll will not. He'll win by TKO. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me now. What should happen in this division? We have the champion Yuri Prasovskaya who beat Glover Teixeira a few months ago, and in Singapore, it was a great fight. Prasovskaya turned uh, found a way to win in the fifth round by submission. Just by the he hung on to win that fight. Glover was going to win through the first four rounds in four minutes, but Yuri found a way to win. I would run back that fight. Because I don't think Glover has many fights left. I would book that fight for Glover versus Yuri 2 in New York City for November. I think both of them will be able to get back by then. So you have that. I think that'll be, it's in November, it's going to be a massive card at Madison Square Garden. You're going to have that fight. You'll have, I think you'll have Patty the Batty Bimblet fight on that card. They'll need to work some other things out to, to put on that card when it comes to entertainment. But I'd have that fight. On that card. So you have that for the belt. When it comes to Magomed Ankalaev. He certainly deserves an opportunity at the belt. You could argue he should be getting one right now. Screw screw Glover. Have him fight Jan Blahovich. So. If they don't want to do Glover versus Yuri. To put Ankalaev versus Yuri. For November. Otherwise I would go Magomed Ankalaev versus Jan Blahovic For the number one contendership spot. Have these two fight. Next, Jan Blahovec had a quick. His last fight was extremely quick because Alexander Rakic hurt himself early in that round, and he got he got to win it. So, Ankalaev versus Jan Blahovec, the former light heavyweight champion, the winner of that fight will get the winner of Glover versus Yuri, and the and the winner of both those two fights will fight each other in early 2023. So, again, I think Dana can go a, a number of different ways here. Uncle I have certainly deserves a title shot. If they just want to give it to him right now, he's won nine fights in a row at the, the light heavyweight division. That is no easy feat, but I, I do think the way Glover fought, he's 43, but the guy can still bang. The guy can still fight. I think he deserves another opportunity. Even if he does win the fight, he may just retire. He's talked about, you know, not having many fights left in him. He might beat Yuri and just put the gloves on the ground and, and the title could be vacant. And you could go Ankalaev versus Blachowicz for the belt. Quite frankly, that's something that's something that could happen. So, a couple things the UFC could do, but this is what I could do. And I think it's fair for everybody that that they go this rope. And I'm interested to see what they do because Ankalaev certainly deserves it. But I do think the fan base and they don't almost they don't uh, always care about the fan base and what they want. But I do think the fan base wants Glover versus Yuri too, and I think that fight in Madison Square Garden would be massive because Glover Teixeira is from, Bra- uh, from Brazil, but he lives in Boston, Mass now. But he's he's big everywhere. He's just an re- extremely popular fighter. He's been in the fight game forever. That's something that I think would sell and do well in at uh, UFC 270, 281 in November. Uh, Derek Lewis took a a loss. That was an early stoppage. I won't go too into the weeds on that. His ranking shouldn't drop too much, in my opinion. I think the UFC should really look look into booking Lewis versus Curtis Blades. They fought before Lewis won it. Blades just fought Tom Aspinall a few weeks ago in London. Aspinall got hurt in the first 15 seconds of the fight. For me, Blades will want to fight somebody high in, in in the rankings. He won't want to drop. He... Ty Tuivas is fighting Cyril Ghan. He can't fight them. Stepe Miocic is going to be fighting John Jones at some point. We think he can't fight either of those guys. Naganu's recovering from knee surgery. Potentially fight Derek Lewis. Everybody else is locked up unless he wants to fight Sergei Pavlovic, and the winner gets potentially gets a, a title opportunity in the not too distant future. The co main event of the night was Brandon the assassin baby. Versus Kai Kara France for the interim flyweight title. Davison Figueroa is the champion. He's recovering from surgery. He's also been bitching and complaining about how much money he's been receiving for being a champion and not liking the way the UFC's been treating him. So these two fought for the interim belts. Their second fight, and Brandon the Assassin Baby beats beats uh, Kai Kara uh, France. He kicked a leg kick right to basically the sternum and the liver area. Cara France dropped Moreno jumps on him, give him some shots. And that was it. Moreno is a, is a former flyweight champion of the world when he beat Figueredo in their second fight. And now, you know, Figueredo was at the event. He jumped in the cage and they basically agreed to fight. This will be the fourth fight between these two guys, which would be a UFC record and every fight's been super entertaining so far. The first fight was a draw, which was one of the greatest fights in UFC history if you ask me. Moreno submitted Figueiredo in the second fight and Figueiredo won narrowly to win his title back in their third bout. So, it sounds like the fourth fight is going to be in Brazil. It's going the, the UFC's going back to Brazil. That's where Figueiredo is is from. He wants the fourth fight to be there. So, Interest, I think that's that's a good way to book the fight. It's 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 going back over there. Figueredo wants something from the UFC. This is a good concession for them to have him fight on his home soil. I think there's some respect between these two. And yeah, I think Figueredo is truly one of the best flyweights of all time. I, his punching power at 125 pounds is second to none. He has to cut a lot of weight to get to 125 pounds. I think he walks around at 160, 165, 170. But these two are both extremely good fighters. Brandon's only 28 years old. He's already had a ton of success in in the UFC. But, But I'm okay with the fourth fight because the first three have been so entertaining. I don't like rematches where the fights aren't that interesting. There isn't a whole lot to digest. But I... I'm cool with these guys going a fourth time because all the fights have been extremely entertaining and extremely close. And that brought us to the main event of the night, and that would be the rematch between Amanda Nunez and Juliana Peña. This was Amanda Nunez sending a message to the entire UFC locker room that she's not done. She got upset by Juliana the Venezuelan vixen the first time. She got caught and then she got submitted. And she clearly her fitness was up, not up to par, and Juliana took advantage of it. But last night was a clear example as to why Amanda Nunez just might be the greatest fighter in UFC history. Men or woman, she is so dominant. Juliana Peña is an extreme is beyond tough. What she took last night, most people could not endure, but Amanda Nunez just dominated the fight. She knocked down Pena three times in one round. That is the most for one fight in the history of the women's division. Three knockdowns in one round, and not that she had her four, four or five, four to five on takedown attempts she controlled the fight, she hit her with nasty nasty elbows. And I never felt like Amanda was going to lose the fight. After the second round, it was a just complete control and it was it was Amanda from the beginning just doing what she did. She looked she was in incredible shape. She just looked she looked like your old self. She looked like she she was hungry again, like she had something to prove and she did last night. I have to give it up to Juliana Peña. Because she took an ass beating, she. But she never, like I so said, she got knocked down three times. She didn't. Her, her chin didn't give out. She was on the ground. She tried at least 20 to 25 different submission attempts last night, trying to get Amanda Nunez in an armbar, getting her in a guillotine, in a rear naked choke. But she, but she couldn't. But she never gave up, and I give her credit for that. The fact that it went five rounds, most people would have gave in, but that's just not her. But she was frazzled from the beginning because Amanda was fighting in a southpaw stance. She switched it up a lot, and she was just kind of swinging for her life, and Nunez just kept landing big shot after big shot, getting her on the ground and beating the living hell out of her. So credit to for Juliana for just staying in there for five rounds, but Amanda Nunez, again, just proves that she's the best in the damn sport. And now I'm just wondering what the UFC is going to do next with her. Amanda doesn't have a clear-cut opponent. She could fight Valentina Sevchenko, who is a great fighter in her weight division, but Nunez has already fought Sevchenko twice and beaten her twice. So it would be a trilogy fight where Nunez has already beaten her two times. It doesn't really make sense to do a trilogy because, again, Valentina's never won in those fights. It would they do that trilogy fight because the UFC hasn't done a good enough job at promoting these female fighters. Quite frankly, there are some good fighters in the featherweights, uh, with uh, flyweights. or with Marina Rodriguez, and is an extremely good fighter. She's somebody that I think deserves an opportunity at a title. Macy Barber continues to climb the rankings, but they need to do more to promote these female fighters because. As you look at it right now, with Juliana losing, there's no clear cut answer for who Julian, for her, Amanda Nunez, is going to defend her title against next. She said she wants some time to rest, to go back home to Brazil and spend some time with family. I don't see her fighting for the rest of 2022. It'll likely be in 2023. But the USC needs to do something because I don't think the trilogy fight, you know, Dana said that's interesting. He wouldn't be opposed to it last night but it's not a great look to have a trilogy fight where valentina never really came that close to winning either of the first two fights. So, of course I'd watch the fight, but it's not something that is that compelling in my mind. It might I don't know if it'll even sell that well because of and including valentina's last fight at her own weight division where it was it was a questionable win for her. She didn't dominate that fight. It wasn't a clear victory for her. She kind of escaped with that that win. She had a great final round, which kind of propelled her to the victory and retained her belt. But I I don't like her chances of beating Amanda, certainly the way she looked last night in dominant fashion. So now we look ahead. Like I said, UFC 278. You got Kamara Usman, Leon Edwards in the main event. Paulo Costa is fighting Luke Rockhold, uh, Rockhold. Who's returning after a lengthy injury stint? Jose Aldo is on the card. We have Alexander Romanov, who's a a Russian heavyweight who continues to rise. He has not lost a professional fight. He fights Marcin Tabura. So this should be a fun card, in my mind. But in the next couple of weeks, we got Marlon Vera against against Dominic Cruz, which should be fun. We got Cyril Gain and uh, and Tai Tuivasa in September, in early September. Robert Whitaker will be on that card. Uh, we got UFC 279, which will feature Nate Diaz and Kamzat Chemaev. So the UFC has some interesting things coming up, to say the least, when it comes to fights. So l- looking forward to what's ahead w- with the UFC here. And so, some good fights last night, for, for sure. Now, before we wrap tonight, Major League Baseball. Watch some good baseball this afternoon. It's been the, the Jays are winning games. They take three or four from the Tigers. The Yankees take three or four from the from the uh, Kansas City Royals. The Philadelphia Phillies are hot. They they sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates. The, the Padres take two out of three from the Minnesota Twins. So we're seeing some interesting races in baseball. The Cardinals and Phillies are battling for the sec for their the final wild card spot. You have the the Mariners who have lost three out of four to the Houston Astros. They've lost 7 of the lost eight to the Astros to put it in the last two weeks. So, interesting there. Otani today goes two for two with two walks in the loss to Texas. Go figure. But, you know, through all the games, it start the games are starting to get interesting. Like this week, we have Mariners-Yankees, which should be an interesting series. The Blue Jays head to Tampa Bay for a quick two-game set. So that that's an interesting series. we got Phillies and the Braves. The Braves continue to be red hot, but the Phillies are also playing great baseball. So that should be a fun series starting tomorrow. But really, it's the trade deadline and what certain teams are going to do. What are the Marlins going to do? They're seven and a half games out. They still feel like they're in it. They're not. They need to be sellers at the deadline and trade some pieces away. But will they commit to that decision? Will ownership say, you know what? We're not that good. We need to admit this and move on will how will the the pirates can they sell some pieces quicker can they move some guys over the next couple days the angels do they have anybody that teams want other than Shohei otani which i wouldn't be trading Shohei otani although i think you'd get a hell of a lot for him right now do the nationals trade juan soto to me i think it's more and more likely he's going to get moved because there's just a whole lot of want from out there the padres are being extremely aggressive reportedly the Twins, the Cardinals are putting in packages. So teams, uh, to me, there's a lot of teams that believe that they can win the World Series and they want to be aggressive. And we've seen already Andrew Benetendi is a New York Yankee. He was batting fifth today. He does bat over 300. He's a strong bat. He's, he's a guy that will get on base. He'll hit doubles. He's not a guy that re- regularly hits for power, but he's he's a guy that is a much improved defensive, a much improved player when it comes to just his bat other than Joey Gallo, who is a better defender, but can't hit the backside of a barn door for the Yankees. Cause so that was a good move. The Mariners on Friday night made a big splash where they got like, you know, arguably the best pitcher available on the market where they got Luis Castillo from the Cincinnati Reds for fourth prospects, the third, the third, fifth and fifth prospects in the Mariners system. But to me this is the Mariners saying we're going all in. We want to make the playoffs. They haven't made the playoffs since 2001. They're tired. They want this streak to end. And like I said, they lost 3 to 4 to the Astros, so it's tough enough to beat although I've said this week the Astros are the best team in baseball, which they are. The record might might not say it, but to me they are. And they need to be able to get by the Astros. They need to get be able to get by the Yankees. And now with Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, And Luis Castillo, they got a really good one, two, three in Seattle to go up against, you know, really any team in baseball. Not to mention they have Julio Rodriguez, they got JP Crawford, they got Carlos Santana at first base, they got Ty France, who can play first or second, who's batting over 300 this year. They got a good team in Seattle. Now they just need in the next two months to make the playoffs. Sometimes it's just the team getting over the history, getting past the failure. And just saying, you know what? We're going to make the playoffs. We're better than than uh, we're we're better than our record, and we're, we're better than the teams of the past. We're going to break this curse. That's what the Mariners have to do. The organization has put faith in this team to win. They traded away pieces last year. They're adding a quality starter this year to to go on a deep playoff run. Next couple days, I'm curious to see. The Tampa Bay Rays have made a few moves. They got David Peralta yesterday from the Arizona Diamondbacks. He is a, a guy that can play multiple positions. He's a good hitter. He's got some speed on the base pass. They got Christian Bethencourt, who's a catcher from the Oakland Athletics. I'm curious to see from Tampa if they add another starting pitcher. I think they need one. They're, they've been struggling, struggling lately. They lost two or three to the Cleveland Guardians this weekend. They dropped three or four to the uh, to the Baltimore Orioles earlier in the week. So they are really sputtering right now. They're, they're not finding a whole lot of success. I think the Rays need to make luckily for them they, the the teams below them Baltimore lost two or three this weekend to Cincinnati but Cleveland continues to win the Guardian the White Sox took two or three from Oakland this weekend. So these teams below them are starting to win games. And if it could come, it can become an interesting race rather quickly if they don't find a way to put it together here. And then there's the Blue Jays. They got a scare when Alec Manoa took took that shot off his elbow. He's l- said that he's likely to make his next schedule start, which is Friday. But to me, they need another starter. They need, it. They need another guy that they can rely on on a day-to-day basis to pitch and pitch well for them. So that, that's something they need to address. I think they need a left-handed bat. I think the more and more I see Josh Bell out there, he's a guy... And the only problem with the Blue Jays acquiring Josh Bell so for people that aren't familiar, he's the first baseman with the Washington Nationals. He's having an extremely good season for a really bad team. But he's, he's valuable because... He's valuable because he's got a great bat. But... What do the Jays do? Because Alejandro Kirk is playing a lot of DH right now. And he's batting over 300. He's just a professional hitter. But Vladdy's playing first every day. So if they acquire Josh Bell, is Josh Bell just coming off the bench? Or is Alejandro Kirk going to start catching more and more? Because he is a better bat than Danny Jansen. I do believe Danny Jansen is a better catcher, better game manager, a game caller right now than Alejandro Kirk. But if Josh Bell was to become a Toronto Blue Jay, they, they have to address that. They would have to really think about what they're going to do because Josh Bell only plays first base. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. only plays first base. And Alejandro Kirk is either a catcher or a DH, and I don't think they want him catching every day. So you want to have all those good bats in the lineup, but at the same time, you need to make that work. It's a good problem to have, but I don't think you want Josh Bell – just being a, a guy available to come off your bench every day when he's been playing every day in Washington and having some success. He had two three-run home runs this weekend, so he's been having a, a good showing for teams that value him. I do think the Yankees got Rizzo. They don't – and Stanton can play DH, but I think the Yankees will be on be in on him. I could see the St. Louis Cardinals being in on Josh Bell. They do have pool holes, but Josh Bell would be a better uh, everyday DH then uh, Bell would be a better everyday DH than Pujols. So I could see the Cardinals being in on him. So I, I think he'll have a ton of suitors, but I expect the Blue Jays to get a, a pitcher and to get a bat that, and I think Josh Bell will be the guy that, that they really covet. So I'm curious to see where things go over the next couple of days. We'll talk about it on Tuesday when Seamus joins and we'll recap free agency. We'll recap any, any big trades that happen and, where where things stand I don't expect to see a blockbuster like Shohei Ohtani that would be something else if he was traded I just don't think the Angels are willing to part ways with him right now that would just to me they already got enough bad press I think that would just kill their franchise if they traded Ohtani where Trout is having back problems it was reported this week it could be career threatening I guess it's better now somehow in a week I don't love the reporting there and the doctors and everything. to me it's just it sounds bad for Mike Trout so I don't know what's happening with him. But if you if Trout's never going to be the same again, and then Otani's traded, there's nothing. There's no reason for anybody to watch the Los Angeles Angels. There's no reason for ESPN to put them on TV. There's no reason for anybody in Anaheim to go to a game. You need something. If you're going to be a bad team, have a gate attraction. Keep Otani for next year. Hopefully you can re-sign him. If he can't, you trade him at the trade deadline next year, you'll get the same amount of pieces. You just will. He'll want a lot of money on the open market because he's worth it, because he does everything. But you gotta you when you're an, an owner, you gotta think about making money. That's what you're that's what you care about. Getting Gate next year, getting people to buy season tickets just to see Otani is something. Also, Red Sox took one of three against the Brewers this weekend. They gotta sell they got to sell. they got to trade pieces. The team's not making the playoffs. They're not a good team. They're done. Red Sox sell. Yankees are good. Jays are good. Rays are pretty. You're going nowhere. Except in the beginning of the season, their team was not going to make the playoffs. That's where Noah was right. They're going to sell, and they're, they might just finish last in the American League East because the Orioles are not going to sell because they have nobody really of that much value to sell. I don't think they'll trade Anthony Santander, who's having a great season. I'm sure teams would want him. I don't think they're going to part with them. So the Red Sox, I think, will finish last in the American League East as we head into August tomorrow, if you can believe it. August 1st tomorrow. Two months of baseball left before the playoffs. Two months until the NHL starts. Pretty much. I think it starts on October 8th. A month and change until the NFL kicks off. We have our first NFL preseason game on Thursday. First NFL pre, pre, uh, preseason game on Thursday. And I'm going to say this now. And this is sad. I'm going to watch some of it. I'm going to watch some of it. I know. I know. I got problems. Hall of Fame game. I'll say it's this here, the interviews from the Hall of Famers. It's not. It's really not. I think it's Jacksonville and Vegas, I believe, playing in the Hall of Fame game. Trevor Lawrence, Derek Carr, Dante. None of those guys will play. But I'll still watch the game. Because why not? It's football. Great show tonight, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your long weekend. Happy New Brunswick Day to everybody out there. As always... I'm Noah Warren and for for the to the point we'll chat soon